Hey, as we jump into the message today and in the middle of our The Lord is My Shepherd series, I just want to take a quick second before we even get going to uh, remember and honor Dr. Martin Luther King. You know, we this weekend we honor him, we celebrate him, we remember his legacy, and I don't want to jump into the Bible and jump into church without uh, just mentioning the legacy that Dr. King left for all of us. Of course, to African Americans, uh, I just... I. I I can't imagine what a hero he must be, but to all of us as Christ followers, regardless of our nationality or our ethnicity or race, uh, Dr. King is a great hero. You know, in Hebrews 11, uh, the scriptures talk about how there were some heroes of the faith that the world was not even worthy of. And Dr. King and Rosa Parks and so many others of that civil rights movement who loved Christ and their love for Christ compelled a fight for justice. The world was not worthy of them. And so in, in Dr. King, regardless of our ethnicity or our background or nationality, we see a follower of Jesus who le leveraged everything, who made bold moves, costly moves, where the right thing and the easy thing were not the same thing. And yet he, he gave every bit of his life, even he laid down his life at the end for the movement. And so I just want to take a moment as we jump in today to honor and remember and thank God for Dr. King. God, uh, thank you for Dr. Martin Luther King. Thank you. We remember him this week. We, I, I hope that we slow down um, to remember the civil rights movement, to remember Dr. King, his family, to remember the sacrifice he made of his own life and obedience. Um, Lord, I pray that in our lives that we would see from his example when the right thing and the easy thing aren't the same thing. Lord, I pray that in faith and obedience that we would choose the right thing, that our lives would be marked by bold moves. And those may be big things. They may be small things, the daily decisions that we live with courage and faith and obedience. So God, thank you for his life, his legacy, his example. We remember him today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, how many of you... <laughs> Quick transition, sorry. How many of you are map nerds? Uh, I don't know how many of you are nerds about this stuff. I totally am. I love finding uh, old maps, new maps, maps that tell us about where we are as a culture. I came across a really, really good one this week. It's based on online searches uh, in 2020, and it looks at, uh, based on searches, what people from each state fear the most, or at least they fear it enough to Google it. So uh, search engines were examined, people looked at what each what people from each state feared the most and they created this map. You wanna see it? Uh, I'll put it up here for a few seconds. Take your time, get a good look at it. Do you like that? Uh, what stands out to you? A couple things that I noticed right off the bat, I'll tell you, here they are. The number one thing I noticed in 2020 that people feared the most, and I guess this isn't really surprising, is that people feared people. And I wonder how many of those states where people fearing people, would have that would have been unique to 2020, or would that have been even a thing in 2019? 
The second thing I see is the usual suspects. You know, people fear blood, spiders, and snakes. It makes me immediately think of Kayla Stevens and our boy's friend, Regan. And, uh, and they are deathly afraid of spiders and snakes. I also see, and this one I love, that clowns were the number one fear of people in New Hampshire and Montana. It's amazing to me that in a year of global pandemic, political elections, uh, economic uncertainty, and social unrest, the number one thing that people in Montana and New Hampshire were afraid of was clowns. And not just afraid of clowns, but afraid enough of clowns to Google it. And finally, the thing, and this is why I love living in Massachusetts. Do you see what uh, the number one Googled fear in Massachusetts was? While the New England states, the five states around us, were afraid of holes and flying and blood and clowns, what do we fear? Failure. We fear failure. Basically, while all of America is fearing a global pandemic and snakes and clowns and being alone, people here are fearing a year where we don't have a victory parade, where the Patriots and Celtics and Bruins and Red Sox weren't going to win a championship and we weren't going to get a parade. I love this state. I love that fear of fear, this irrational fear of, of failure and not winning. Let me ask you, as you look at the map, which ones, which, which fears did you most relate to? Are there any that you really related to? Are there any that didn't make the list that if you were a state that you would have Googled the most, fears you would have had the most? What, um, what agitates you and sort of robs your soul of rest, keeps you up at night, like tossing from this side to that side, from back to stomach to side and concern and worry? Even maybe finish this sentence, and you don't have to put it in the chat, unless it's funny, and then I do want you to put it in chat. Finish this sentence with me. My stomach turns and I get queasy when I think about... Today, we're in week three of a series called The Lord is My Shepherd. We're examining Psalm 23. It's probably the most well-known psalm. Maybe you grew up with it. Maybe you've heard it at a funeral. You may not even know it is Psalm 23. It's the psalm by King David, the king of Israel, where he starts with, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, before David was king, before his sinful relationship with Bathsheba, before he wrote a bunch of worship songs that sort of made their way into the book of Psalms, even before he took down Goliath, David was first. The first thing we learn about David is he's kind of the runt of his family. And, and because he was the runt, the baby brother of a little guy, he ends up being relegated to being the shepherd in charge of the family's flock of sheep. And so this psalm of worship calling the, the Lord our shepherd is, and, and, and where David's even calling himself a sheep, it comes from the heart of a man who knew sheep and was diligent and caring as a shepherd. Today we're going to read verses uh, 1 through 3 of Psalm 23, and we're really going to focus on verse 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me, or in the Hebrew, he is making me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, or he is leading me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, the soul restoration and paths of righteousness are coming. We'll get to those in the days ahead. But for today, know that the Lord, our shepherd, makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us by still waters for his name's sake. 
And his care for us is ongoing. His leading us and allowing us to rest is ongoing. In other words, God's reputation is on the line in your life and in my life. But that's not a burden for you and I to bear. I hear that and I kind of carry that tense up and carry that. The truth is that's a burden that the Lord is bearing actually. David understood that the Lord, the shepherd was constantly leading his sheep to rest in in green pastures and constantly leading the sheep to still waters for his own name's sake. I confess. As we go through a series, I am learning a ton about sheep. They're really, I've always been amused by them. I think they're really funny animals. They're actually, I'm learning a lot like humans. David understood that, uh, David understood this, that, uh, and Jesus understood it, by the way. And the Old Testament prophets who talked about the Lord being the shepherd and people being sheep, they totally understood it and they were wise to make this comparison. Now, regarding this verse today, there's four things that conspire against a sheep ever lying down, ever. If a shepherd doesn't meet these four concerns of a sheep, the sheep will literally never lie down. The first one was fear. The shepherd had to address his or her sheep's fears. Not unlike most humans, shepherds are timid and they're really easily panicked. I've learned that even a rabbit that moves really quickly can panic the sheep and all the sheep will begin to run and panic and even endanger themselves and one another. Why? Because sheep have no real defense. Sheep don't have fangs, they don't have claws, they don't have wings to fly away. They're not super fast, though I can picture that and it's really hilarious in my mind. If a sheep had it, they don't have any of those things. The only thing a big old sheep has to protect itself is the ability to run, to run. So a predator comes, the sheep panic, the sheep begin to run, and usually the predator is faster than the sheep. Life can be so full of bullies and predators, can it? Uh, And I don't just mean the headlines and the news and sort of the macro stuff that scares us. I mean, life can can be full of ominous people, unbending deadlines, and relentless circumstances. Today, Christian, I need to tell you uh, this, if you are restless because you're being, because you're afraid or you're being bullied or you're being threatened, Jesus is near and he's a good shepherd. Our hope isn't in running away from the things, the bullies and the predators, but in running to the Lord. When my boys are nervous at night over the years uh, in the past, we've read to them or quoted for them often from Psalm 4, 8, it says this, and peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. We don't run from our predators. We can run to the Lord. It's true for them. It's true for you. We can rest and dwell in safety because of the Lord. Second condition, sheep also can't lie down and rest if there's any friction with the other sheep, if there's tension between the sheep. Like chickens with their pecking orders, uh, sheep actually have what's called a budding order. And usually an older, arrogant sort of female sheep, a ewe, will push and butt and bully the other sheep to assert her position. Sheep gets restless and they usually do three things in response. They'll defend themselves against their own kind. They'll prove themselves to their own kind. Or they'll bully the other sheep not to be bullied by their own kind. You know what ends a sheep's need to prove or defend or bully? The presence of the shepherd. When the shepherd walks among the flock and they sense his caring but authoritative presence, 
their rivalries between one another come to an end. Likewise for us, churches aren't perfect. I had a pastor tell me one time, there is no perfect church, but if you ever find the perfect church, leave immediately because you are not perfect and you will only mess it up. So because churches aren't perfect, they're gonna be full of sheep who feel this need to defend or prove or even assert themselves at times. Let me ask you, what do you believe could be the greatest threat to the harmony and unity of Christ Church Charlestown? I wanna tell you, those threats will come one day. We need to invite the shepherd into those soft spots, those danger zones, and let him scatter threats to us, his sheep. Also, let me ask you, what makes you feel small or tense or afraid and could even scare you into leaving the flock, the faith family? Invite the shepherd into those feelings and fears so that friction never tempts you to leave the flock. When my eyes are on Jesus, they aren't on the other sheep and they aren't on myself. Here's a truth I learned one time from a really godly man in counseling. When God is big, people are small. And when people are big, God is small. Both cannot be big at the exact same time. When God is big, people are small. When God is small, people will always be big. The third thing that would prevent a sheep from lying down is aggravation, specifically flies and parasites and pests. Now, when I was a kid, I played baseball. I grew up in Warner Robins, Georgia, which was the first town that was sort of south of this imaginary line that they called the Nat Line. Uh, a gnat, by the way, if you've never experienced a South Georgia gnat, is the most obnoxious bug ever. It would get in your eyes, your nose, uh, get in your ears, your mouth. It was terrible. It get on, they would get on your arms and legs. And the baseball field was a magnet for gnats. I mean, uh, a South Georgia afternoon at 95 degrees with 90% humidity and a bunch of sweaty little preteen boys playing baseball, trying to focus on hitting or trying to make a good pitch or trying to catch a pop-up with these bugs trying to get in your eyes and nose and mouth. I mean, it is difficult. So I feel for the sheep. I get their predicament. I get the constant annoyance of flies and ticks and parasites. The shepherd can do three things to protect the sheep. One, she or he can use preventative oils or Two, they can give the sheep this sort of a dip bath for treatment. And three, they can find shade to help cool the sheep and repel the flies and bugs. I don't know you, but life has a ton of little frustrations like gnats, little irritations, little small stuff that can drive me crazy. None of them are a threat to me abandoning the faith or tapping out on life or anything like that, but they will distract you. They will distract you, get you to take your eye off the ball a little bit. And so some people even say, JD, don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff. But like sheep, small stuff can rob us of our rest, can it? So the Lord delights when we come to him and when we pray, Lord, this is bugging me, bugging me like a gnat or a fly or a parasite. This is bugging me. And, uh, and what's his reply? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If life's little irritants are robbing your rest today, you ought to be stoic or minimize it or deny it or plow through. Just come to the shepherd. The fourth thing that will rob a sheep's rest, and probably the one that I love the most, we're going to camp out on this one when I compare it to humans, is hunger 
and thirst. So there's fear and tension and aggravation and then hunger. Sheep get hungry and thirsty, especially by the way, sheep in the Middle East, especially in the land of Israel, where young David shepherded his family's flocks. Now David was from Bethlehem and Bethlehem, I'll put a map up right here. In Bethlehem, there were two areas that a shepherd would take the sheep uh, to graze and to, to live. One was the area to the east of Bethlehem. The other was the area south of Bethlehem. And, and, and all of us would agree that these are deserts. When we see pictures of them, we would call them by our standards deserts. The area is dry and arid and sunburned. And without a caring and wise shepherd, sheep were in constant danger of hunger and thirst and therefore restlessness. A hungry, thirsty sheep will never lie down. So shepherds needed skill and knowledge and, the, and needed to know the lay of the land as well as irrigation and seasons and weeding and tending the good land and even more to make sure that their sheep didn't go hungry. And even in addition to the food, sheep uh, are, can or attempted to or have available to them in the Middle East three types of waters. And a, but a caring shepherd won't give them all three types of waters. Now, the first type of waters that a sheep might want to drink are dirty, infested puddles. These are a danger. They're parasites and gross things that will make a sheep sick. The second one's the rushing water of a wadi, a riverbed, where in the rainy season, sheep would go to get some water through the trickle, but a sudden rainstorm up up on the topography would cause a rush of water to come down through the riverbed, the wadi, and the sheep would be carried away while she's drinking, carried away to her death. This is obviously also a danger. The safe water was the fresh and steady springs of water that might be a brook or a small pool. These waters don't have parasites and sickness. Neither is the sheep going to be washed away as she drinks. So let me just dig in just a little bit deeper here. Our, our shepherd knows our hunger and our thirst. And if we'll let him, he will provide us with food and clean water. He lets us recline in green pastures and leads us to calm waters. Now, here's why this is my favorite part. When, you, when we read Psalm 23, where it says green pastures and still waters, what do you envision? I, I think of something like this. I think of something like a photo of a farm. Even more, I think of green pastures, and honestly, I think of this image. I think of this image. Do you remember this? Uh, do you remember this show? Uh, what was it? You can put it in the comments. What was this? Do you remember this one? I can still hear to this day the theme song and that graphic of the title of the show. When I think of green pastures, I think of the opening credits of Little House on the Prairie. I really do. However, I'd like, if you don't mind, to show you the green pastures of the Middle East and of ancient Israel. I'm just gonna put up a couple of photos here. These are the green pastures of the ancient Near East. You see a lot of still waters there? Do you see prairie and lots of grass? When David wrote about green pastures and calm waters, he's not talking about knee-deep grasses and large ponds. He shepherded sheep in deserts, dry, arid, hot, sunburnt deserts. In ancient Israel, like modern Israel, green pastures are actually hillsides with walking paths for sheep, like a terrace where each sheep is on a different level of the terrace. 
And, uh, and on that, there, there's a lot of rocks there and there's air in the moisture at night. So the, 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 excuse me, there's moisture in the air at night and there's rocks. And in the, in the middle of the night, as the, the air cools uh, around those rocks, um, the moisture will condensate and these little sprigs of grass will begin to spread up along, will begin to sprout up along the terrace. And so it's not a ton of grass, but it's always enough. The grass will look kind of like this. I'll sh I would show you a photo of it. It's fascinating to me. So each sheep walks along its little path and it consumes these little tufts of grass. So you're never going to find a, a group of Middle Eastern sheep in a Weight Watchers class. There's not enough rain or grass or pasture land. Rather, the sheep rely every single day on the goodness and the diligence and the awareness of the shepherd. The shepherd knows the need for food. He knows the lay of the land or she knows the lay of the land and is constantly working to feed the sheep and validate their trust in them. He is making me lie down in green pastures. He is constantly leading me beside the still waters. I read this quote this week. As his sheep, we should trust God today rather than worrying about the future. You may not see it now, but a new tuft of grass will always be there in the morning. Further, when it comes to the waters, we all have thirst and we all look for something to satisfy us. Careers, lifestyles, friends, activities, relationships, achievements, and so on. Like the dirty, infested puddles, some things that slake our thirst will actually infect us and they'll make us sick. Even the old waters of what God once did. Like the rushing waters in the wadi that would sweep us away, some things that slake our thirst will take us far from the shepherd and even could kill us. Only the shepherd knows what's safe to drink. We're safest when we drink from the waters that he provides for us and understand the danger of waters he has maybe not led us to. The shepherd will always give us fresh, steady springs as we follow his leads. Why, in John 7, 37 through 38, Jesus, speaking of relationship with God and fresh water, said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of her or his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, it's been my observation and my experience personally, <laughs> and in pastoring, and in just watching life to see that God usually just provides enough. Daily bread requiring daily dependence. God doesn't lead me to these little house on the prairie types of knee-deep grasses and then say, eat up. No relative of mine has ever died and left me a million dollars. I've never gotten a vaccination that prevents cancer or dementia or diseases or even scores of viruses. And certainly no vaccination that prevents unexpected tragedy. And the more I live, the more I learn that I am rich but not wealthy. I am blessed but God-dependent. So God leads me on right paths where I find tufts of grass, little patches of daily bread to meet my needs. That's not just food, by the way. The Lord is my shepherd, for most of us, will mean we will always have enough but usually not so much that we don't have to look to him and trust. Will we have enough health and money and loved ones a year from now? I think so, but I'd be lying if I said I know that. Will we have enough of those things tomorrow, health and money and loved ones? 
Again, I, I think so, but God's not making me false promises about tomorrow. Will you and I even have all of those things 10 minutes from now? I think so, but I don't know. Those aren't our concerns anyhow. They're the concern of the shepherd. So here's what I do know. God and grace will give you and me enough for this moment to produce total dependence and surrender. If we have more, man, let's praise the Lord. If we have so much that we don't have to depend or we don't have to surrender, perhaps we're letting ourselves be led by a shepherd other than the Lord. When David thought of green pastures and quiet waters, he envisioned just enough for the sheep to rely daily on the shepherd. And the shepherd constantly providing, following Jesus, trusting Jesus. What we call discipleship works in a similar way. So let me give you a couple of bullet points as we wrap up. Look constantly to the shepherd. That's not weakness. Looking constantly to the shepherd is not weakness. That's wisdom. For some of you, you know, you're new to following Christ or you're exploring following Christ. And somebody one day is going to tell you, man, you're weak if you're looking to God. You're weak if you're following Christ. And you look at them and say, maybe so, but I believe this is wisdom. He is a good shepherd. Number two, celebrate God's provision. When we celebrate God's provision of anything and everything, privately and publicly, that's worship. Celebrating God's provision is worship. It's giving worth to God for who he is and what he has done. Number three, in fear, out of fear, don't hoard and don't settle. We can live generously and we can live confidently. God is going to provide. Now, we don't want to be reckless and foolish, but we don't have to hoard and settle out of fear. We can trust that the Lord will lead us to those daily tufts, those still waters, clean waters out of love for us. And then finally, tell yourself that over and over. Preach the gospel to yourself liberally and joyfully and confidently. Say to yourself, God will provide. God will provide. The Lord will provide. And how do we know it? Like a sheep afraid the shepherd won't provide the next time, look to his track record. Look to his track record. Look at all the times that the Lord has provided and then look to where he's provided most and best for you and me and us. Look to the cross and look to the empty tomb. At the cross where Jesus paid for our sin and at the empty tomb where Jesus provided victory and hope in relationship with God, we see the shepherd's ultimate um, provision and love and generosity and his guarantee that he will always be with us. While the world runs around afraid of clowns and snakes and people and failure, we can rest in the shepherd. While culture is telling us to gather more and more and more, we can trust the shepherd will provide daily. While others tell you to drink the waters of what God did once or get swept away in some emotional something like that, we can know that the shepherd will give us good, safe waters. Look to the shepherd. It's the best idea of this sermon. Jesus knows the lay of the land in your life. Jesus knows the lay of the land in your life and in my life and in our church and in our city and in our community. I wish you would repeat it after me out loud. Jesus knows the lay of the land in my life in January 2021. 
And he is the good shepherd and he is constantly leading us and providing us out of love for his name's sake. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you, shepherd, for your provision for us. We thank you for your ultimate provision at the cross, that if we turn from our sin and we surrender our lives to Jesus, you will be our shepherd this day and forevermore for your name's sake, not for our performance, not for our big faith, but because you are good and loving and you want relationship with us, not religion from us, but relationship with us. So for those who need to trust themselves to you today, God, I pray that they would right now surrender themselves to you. And for the rest of us, God, I pray that we would preach the gospel to ourselves, that God, you will be constantly providing. And I pray we would look to the cross and the empty tomb. I pray we would trust you and that we would be able to lie down and rest in, in confidence that you know the lay of the land in our lives today and this week and this year. And we don't have to know how it's all going to work out. We can trust you to provide today. We love you. We thank you that you are a trustworthy God. And we celebrate you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Man, that, uh, whew, man, that is... That is powerful. There's truth in that. So as we wrap up, let me just share a couple things with you. One, don't forget to fill out your connection card. I'm watching. I know who is and is not doing it. ChristChurchTrialsDown.com slash connect. Let us know you are here. If it's your first time or your hundredth time, it's how we know you're here and how we catch up on prayer requests and what God's doing and he needs you have any next steps that you're going to take. So please go ChristChurchTrialsDown.com slash connect and fill out your connection card as soon as we wrap up. Second, if you want to plug into a small group, this week is leader path. Some of you are going to say, man, I'm not ready to be a leader. It's not for who's ready to be a leader. It's raising us up to be the men and women that God's calling us to be, to lead his church. It's his church. So maybe if you're thinking, I think I should do that, but I'm kind of nervous. Sign up for that group. Sign up for the men's group. Sign up for the worship group that'll meet the first week in February, the women's group that will meet again on the second week in February. We want you to plug in a group. We all want to be in a group, okay? We'll put the link up for the groups there in the chat so that we can make sure we get you into a group if you want to sign up. And then beyond that, just let us know what God's doing in your life. Man, I'm so excited about this series and about what God's doing and about our theme of bold moves for the year. And so I know that a lot of us are already beginning to check out, but I want to tell you for those who've stayed to the end, next week I'm going to share a really bold move that God's calling me to make and that we're going to make together. And that'll be the teaser. We'll wrap up right there. Can't wait to share that with you next week. Man, I love you. I love being your pastor. We're so thankful that we get to be on the journey together in 2021. God bless you guys. Go out and walk this week in grace and in holiness and in faith and in confidence that the shepherd is leading and providing and will do that every day and every step of the way. God bless you guys.